Well, good morning. morning. I hope you had a uh, good uh, Fourth of July celebration. Hopefully yours uh, was a little shorter than the one that my neighbors threw that went on until about 1 a.m. But uh, somebody asked me if I was uh, looked tired, or they said you look tired this morning. Which you know what that always means that you look wonderful this morning. And uh, so, well, I have some folks in my neighborhood to thank for that. I'm not sure which ones to thank for that, but uh, some of them decided to shoot off, I guess, every firework they could find in town, and, you know, kind of went throughout the night, but uh, we're here, and, and uh, happy, uh, happy uh, second half of the year to everybody. We, we've, we've made it to half of the year. <laughs> this is kind of weird. These last six months, I mean, it kind of seems like to some degree it's flown by, and to another degree that it's taken like 20 years to get through these last six months. Like, it's just, it's been crazy. I mean, think about this for just a second here. How many of us, back on January 1st, or maybe even December 31st, when we're thinking through our minds, okay, the new year is here, the new year's coming, and, and what do we always do for the new year? We, either we make a resolution, or we will say something about, well, you know what, last year wasn't too bad, I hope this year's a better one. Or sometimes we'll be like, man, last year was awful. I want next year to be better. How many of us, if we could have mapped out and predicted what was going to happen through the first six months of 2020, you could have guessed it. <laughs> like, like none of us, right? I, mean, I remember thinking back at the beginning of the year, like, man, this is, this is a great year. It's 2020. I mean, it's this nice rounded off year. And, and you know, we had all these... Every church in America had this, like, cheesy, well, we're using the 2020 vision, you know, we're going to have clarity this year, and, I mean, look at what we've had through, through six months. Uh, I just jotted a few things down here yesterday. Think, think back to this on the beginning of the year. These are some of the, the bullet points of what we were going to come across this year, that, like, the second day of the year, we were going to be staring down the barrel of potentially a war in the Middle East, and then a couple weeks later, we were going to be uh, watching a... a impeachment trial for the president. And then a few weeks later, we were going to watch uh, a tragedy unfold with, uh, in the sports world when uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter and some friends were killed in a helicopter crash. And then uh, a few weeks later, COVID starts to come around and everything across the world starts to shut down and you know, sports go away and, and uh, you know, restaurants and businesses and everything stops. Our, basically, our world kind of came to this grinding halt. And then we, we've seen over the past six weeks or so these demonstrations popping up across the country, and it's just very volatile on, on either side. And, and we're just sitting here scratching our heads going, man, what in the world happened to our 2020? <laughs> all this clarity, all this wonderful vision that we were going to have. And that's not even counting any like personal things you guys have run up against this year. You know, we've all probably had some personal issues pop up. That list isn't even counting all of those. And, and I think about this because I think, man, the first half of 2020 has been, like, you remember back in the 90s and kind of the 2000s decade, they made those, like, over-the-top disaster movies, you know, where, like, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And in the end, maybe they, they you know, overcame it, or, or maybe they just survived it. You know, but I was thinking about this, like, man, if, if 2020 was one of those disaster movies, it'd be so cheesy and unbelievable that the movie wouldn't even get made. Like, it'd be a bomb if, if it did get made. But that's where we're at. That's our reality for, for 2020. And um, I, I was thinking about this a little bit, how, you know, the, the good thing about where we're at 
is, is we're set up for a good comeback story. I mean, we think about this a little bit, and you know, whether it's sports or whether it's, you know, again, those disaster movies, we, we want ourselves to be in the, the mindset of, of a good comeback. I was thinking about this. Um, uh, most of you all know I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. I went to the University of Oklahoma. Um, you know, it, it, it's end of our fight song says words that describe me perfectly. That The last line of our fight song is, I'm, I'm a sooner born and a sooner bred, and when I die, I'll be a sooner dead. And uh, so, I mean, I've really, you know, held on to that, and that's me. Well, last fall, we're, we're playing a football game. Uh, we are 9-1. and one. We're playing Baylor. They're 10-0. and 0. It's a top-10 matchup, prime time, ESPN game day. You know, game of the week. All eyes are watching this game. Are you guys Baylor fans? You're going to like where this story is headed. We got some Texans with us today. You what? Awesome. This is going to make this story even better because they know where the story is going. So, a little context here. So, not to like, you know, be a brag about it or, or anything, but OU football is like one of the two or three most prestigious, historically successful programs of all time. So, when you talk about something being the greatest in school history, you've got some good context. So there, there's been some precedent. There's been some great things. I mean, seven national championships, seven Heisman trophies, on and on. That night, we had the greatest comeback in school history. Baylor, at one point, led the game 28-3 to in the second quarter. And I remember posting on Facebook after Baylor scored to go up 28-3. to I just posted, good night, Sooners. That was it. And I think I tweeted it, too. And then we come back and win the game, 34-31. to Baylor kicked a field goal before halftime, and that was it. Uh, OU just shut them down in the second half. And uh, I remember then afterwards, you know, everybody was just like scrambling to delete all these negative things they were saying about OU, like <laughs> as if they didn't exist. I owned mine, so I took my good night Sooners and I like shared it with another status on top of it that just said, never had a doubt. You know, <laughs> never was in doubt, believed it the whole time. Um, I was ready to trade every player on the team at halftime, but never had a doubt, you know, when it came down to it. That, I think to some degree, I'm like, man, what if, what if that's 2020? You know, that the first half has gone as horribly as it could go. But the second half, I mean, the second half could be a lot better. Because you see, here's the thing. We, we still have a God who is a God of promise and a God of hope and a God of goodness. And this 2020 year, I mean, we, we could not have possibly predicted where we're at today. Six months ago, we had no clue that we were going to be where we're at today right now. And I think about this because people are, are talking about, what are we going to look like in another month or two months? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> no clue. And that's, that's why we're kind of in this series, you know, called Now What? Like, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. It hasn't gone away. But now what? You know, we're, we're starting to meet again. You know, last week was the first week we came back together as, as a one body as opposed to just online. And now What? What, what do we do now? And, uh, you know, I, as, as I look at this, I, we started this off by asking the question last week, like, what is, what is the church? Who is the church? And we, we said, you know, we're the church. The church is the body of Christ, and, and we are that church, and we, we exist to, to be his plan for salvation of the world. We're the hope for the world because we represent him in our world. And I thought about that because if there's one thing that I think a lot of us can struggle with, it's this idea, excuse me, it's this mindset that we as the church can get so easily frustrated with the world around us. 
just as an example of this, in the past couple weeks, I've basically just shut myself down off of social media. I can't handle it anymore. I can't handle watching people post things and, I mean, you hear the phrase, they're ready to die on the hill. They're ready to die on the hill for this cause. And it's like, okay, I just read 10 of these in a row and they're all different. So which hill are you all trying to come get me to die on? Because that's not going to happen. And I'm not going to argue with you. But this is where we're at. And I, it, for me, it just it gets overwhelming, overbearing. I can't handle it. And I'm not one that can, I, I can just kind of dip my toe into something. If I get into something, I'm into something. My wife would tell you that. My hobbies are that way. My hobbies aren't cheap hobbies, and I tend to just jump right into the deep end of the pool. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I, I go about things. I, but when it comes to this idea, I think too often we want to sit back as the church, and we want to just notice how messed up the world is, and we really want the world to come to us, and that's just not happening. That's not where we're at. And so the question we have to ask is, if we're supposed to be the church in the midst of this, we're supposed to take the gospel to the world in the midst of this, how do we avoid getting caught up in it? How do, what I mean by that is how do we avoid getting overburdened, getting over, overly frustrated or overly stressed with it? The answer is both simple and complex. We worship. We just went through... Uh, uh, our, our, our time of music, and you, you probably noticed a theme through there. Worship songs about worship. We're made to worship. You know, song, songs that kind of plug into this idea just a little bit here. And when we think about worship, probably if I ask you, you know, what, what does worship mean to you, a lot of us probably are going to say, well, it's, it's singing. That's, that's what we do. We come and we sing. And I mean, I, I get it. I, I grew up in like more of a charismatic church where that's a big, big thing. And if you ask somebody, well, how was worship today? Oh, our worship was phenomenal. What they mean was our music was really good. The worship may have been great, but that, that's what, it's just that connection. We hear those two words, and we, we connect worship and, and music. But we think about this, and worship is so much more than that. Worship is this idea of giving devotion or adoration to someone or something that you hold in high regard. So we start thinking about that, and if we're honest, we can probably make a list of what we worship, because it's probably not exclusive, if we're honest. And I think about this a little bit because I, I sometimes wonder, especially in our world, in our, our crazy, chaotic, stressful world, I mean, how do we approach worship? How do we focus? How do we, how do we worship? If it's more than just singing songs, if it's more than just maybe standing and raising your hands, how, how do we worship? Jesus gives us a pretty clear uh, example of this. If you've if you got a Bible, we're in John chapter 4. I, I don't have slides for you today. I didn't get those. But, but John chapter 4, very famous passage of Scripture that a lot of people are familiar with. But to kind of set the stage here just a little bit, Jesus and his disciples are in Samaria, a region of Israel. And uh, we'll kind of get into what Samaria was, what Samaritans were here in a few moments. But he comes across this woman, and he's talking to her, and, and she starts asking him these questions. And on the surface, they seem like questions that could maybe be a tad snarky. And if it was one of the like Pharisees asking, then we probably would think so. But I think she's really honestly asking. She doesn't know. I think she's curious and needs to know and wants to know. And, and so it just kind of goes back and forth. Excuse me. It goes back and forth here. And like the fourth question that she asks has to do with worship. 
And so when he's describing worship, here's what he tells her in verse 23 of John 4. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his, his uh, worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. What does that mean? How do we worship in spirit and in truth? When I uh, moved out here a few years ago, that, that first year that I was here as, as the, the pastor of the church, one of the things that we set and we decided we wanted to do as a leadership and as a staff was we had our mission statement. We knew what that was, but we wanted to set up what we called core values, meaning we want to not only say this is what we're going to do with our mission, but our core values are this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to focus and go towards this. This is what we hold in terms of us as a body, in terms of us as individual Christians, what we hold maybe as, as a little bit more important than everything else. And on that list we made, the number two core value is that we will uh, genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. And we think about that phrase, genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. And kind of the long and short of that is we wanted to create an atmosphere that when you come here to worship, as far as we're concerned, what you see is what you get. We're not going to pretend to be anything that we're not. I'm not going to pretend to be anything that I'm not. Don't ask anybody else to do that. We want you to come. Brokenness, messiness, and all. And that's why we come to the church. We come to Jesus because we can't fix our brokenness on our own. But at the same time, we also wanted to create a space where people can come to worship with that mindset, without a mindset of intimidation. Maybe, maybe you've been in the church where you feel like, man, the I don't think I'm quite a good enough Christian to be at this place. Like, you've got to fill out a form to get in the door. You know, we, we don't want to be that. We wanted to be a church that is honest about who we are. Hey, we are a bunch of broken people, too. We've, we're chasing after Jesus. We're trying to become more like Jesus. That, that, that's our goal. And so when we think about this, we think about worship in this mindset, we realize that, that our goal as a church is to come in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our messiness, in spite of the chaos in our world, so that we can find a way to, without obstacle, worship God. Seek adoration and devotion to God, to Jesus. And, and that's, that's been our goal throughout all of this. But here's something that I want you to understand when it comes to this idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth. What this really boils down to and breaks down to is it to worship in spirit and truth, you, you get to that point when you learn how to spiritually connect with God while blocking out everything else. And that's kind of what we're going to break down and, and talk about a little bit uh, through, the, through this today. Because we, we, um, I think this is a spot where a lot of us struggle, if, if we're honest. And here's what I mean by that. I, I've heard from different people in churches, this church, other churches, my home church, etc. Heard people say something like this from time to time. Man, I just, I really couldn't worship today. Man, I just, I just couldn't get into it. The music was too this, or the lights were too that, or it was too this, or it was too that. I'll be honest, <laughs> I, I've probably said that myself a, a few times in my life. What's happening? What's happening is we're getting into our minds that for us to worship, certain conditions have to be met. Certain parameters have to be set. Uh, the, the music needs to be this tempo and this volume, no more, no less. 
The seats need to be in this arrangement, on and on. It has to be done this time of the day, this day of the week. You have to wear these kind of clothes to go do it. I, I, I joke about this. Uh, my, my grandma, 90 years old, uh, attends an Assemblies of God church in, in my hometown in Oklahoma, and um, to this day still, she'll grumble and complain, did you see what the pastor was wearing today? I told my mom, I was like, don't let her watch me. I mean, <laughs> I put on my cleanest pair of jeans and come up here and go for it, you know, so try to find my least wrinkled shirt, and that, that's, that's about it. We get this idea, right, that certain parameters have to be met, certain conditions have to be met, and we have to be careful with this idea. Here's the good news, though, Here, and the good news is this, we're not the first ones to think this. We're not the first ones to fall into this trap. Go back to this conversation that Jesus is having with this woman here. Because he's just told her that true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Well, jump back a couple of verses. Okay, verse 20, they're, they're in the middle of this conversation. And here's what she says to him. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Look at Jesus' response here. Woman, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, we think about this here for just a minute, and we realize we're probably not a lot different than this woman or those Jews or those Samaritans, right? Well, we worship here this way, not there that way. I mean, you just look around and see how many churches we have around town, how many different church signs we have, church buildings we have. And, you know, a lot of the, especially in the COV, uh, I've gotten to know a lot of the pastors here, we, we find that, man, we agree, like, on 95, 98% of things, what sticks out, like, the 1 or 2% of things we disagree on. That's what sticks out. That's, that's what gets people. And what he's telling her is, no, none of that matters. See, let's, let's go a little context here. Okay, we keep referring to her as the Samaritan woman. That's an important tag there. See, you had the Jews, you had the Samaritans, and, and the Samaritans, kind of this, the, the long story short version here, the Samaritans were Jews as, as, a, as a race, as a people, who started intermingling with people outside of being Jews. And as true Jews, they didn't care for that. And so they had kind of diluted down their, their uh, Jewishness, if you will. And the Jews looked at them as half-breeds. They looked at them as lesser citizens because they had what the Jews had and they threw it away. They gave it away. So that's why they kind of had their own region. They had their own place to worship. And the Jews looked down at the Samaritans not just as a lesser class, but really as a hated people. Now we hear the phrase Samaritan and, and we think positive with Samaritans, right? We, we think about the Good Samaritan. We have hospitals called the Good Samaritan or this, this uh, amazing charitable organization called Samaritan's Purse. That, that's got a different context in, in our mindset, right? But we think about this, this idea here. The idea of the Good Samaritan, that parable was told by Jesus to make a point. Uh, to, to say, hey, these people that you hate, that you look down upon, that you think are wrong, this is the one who came and helped your brother. And he gives this parable of the Good Samaritan to answer the question of, well, who's my neighbor? Which itself was a question in response to the question that Jesus asked, or in response to the statement that Jesus said, when he told us to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you about this Samaritan that you probably think is worthless. That's the story. So now fast forward. Jesus is sitting with this Samaritan woman. He's sitting with this person that his people think is wrong, doesn't want to associate with, think that there's no good that could possibly come out of there. I got to tell you, as as I read this, I'm really glad that this mindset is in biblical times and not in our culture and day and time at all anymore. I'm really glad we don't deal with this. Yeah, right, huh? <laughs> You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When, when, when I, I preach on, on the Good Samaritan, I always tell you guys, replace the word Samaritan with whatever you think your Samaritan is. Who's the person you are least likely to associate with? The people group you are least likely to associate with. Because that's really probably how we can best understand it. And so here's Jesus talking with this uh, Samaritan woman. And not just a Samaritan, a woman. Jewish men didn't speak to women in public. They were a lesser citizen. And so this is Jesus knocking down these barriers. These man-made barriers. These structures and obstacles that we put up. And what's he telling her? Now, there's coming a time when you're not going to worship in the temple, here or there. In other words, the temple doesn't matter anymore. Now, now, hear what we're not saying, because we're not saying the church isn't important. That, that's not what, what Jesus is getting at here. He's getting at the temple, the true temple. We mentioned this last week. Is who? The church. It's us. It's you. And what, what he's getting at here is, is you're going to be the vessel for the church, now, what we do here on Sunday mornings, this is, this is still important. But what we do here on Sunday mornings isn't going to save your soul. Your relationship with Jesus is going to save your soul. This is to come together as a community, as a body, and lift each other up and worship Jesus. But what he's getting at here is this idea that for many of us, we have to have things a certain way to worship. His people did. Our people do. That's just kind of the way things go. But to worship God in spirit and truth, it means that our worship transcends what we've built and what we've created. So we think about this for just a moment here. Because when we do this, we get this idea of building and creating not only how we worship, but sometimes what we worship. I mean, let's be honest, how many of us really, Jesus looks a lot like us. Because we have made Jesus look a lot like us, more so than we've made ourselves look a lot like Jesus. Go on in this story, that this, this story kind of concludes uh, this way. The woman is sitting there next to Jesus in verse 25. He's just told her about worshiping in spirit and truth, and what does he say to her? Or she says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And he's sitting right beside her. <laughs> What's he say? Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. We think about this, and, and it's easy to kind of say, well, this is a Samaritan woman. She probably wasn't given the chance to even begin to understand that Jesus could be the Messiah. And then as I thought about this, this week, I thought, well, but what about his disciples? Because here's guys he handpicked. These are Jewish guys like him. They knew the scriptures. They knew what the Messiah was supposed to do and look like. They walked with him day after day for three years. They saw the miracles. They saw what he, everything he did. And they still didn't have it figured out. 
And they declared him to be the Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah they were wanting or expecting. When Jesus strolled into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they thought he was headed there to throw the Romans out, be the conquering king. And what did he do instead? He went in as a lamb to be sacrificed for us. And I thought about this because I've said often, I think if Jesus showed up, if we're being very honest, we wouldn't recognize him. A lot of us wouldn't. We might not like what he looks like. Why? Because he's not going to look just like me or sound like me or do everything that I do. And he's not going to look or sound like you guys. Because he's Jesus. We're flawed. And that's, the, that's kind of the logic we get into a little bit here when we start to worship our own conditions. We start to worship our own methods. See, if I, I kind of came to this conclusion this week, and if this steps on your toes, know it stepped on mine too. But the sad reality in our churches today is that too many Christians are still trying to find the Messiah. They're still seeking for their Messiah. Again, I come to that conclusion because I, I see what people post on social media. I see what people are putting their hopes into, what people are putting their, their assumptions into. I see the battles people are prepared to duke out, the hills we're prepared to die on. It breaks my heart. And the problem is, I think too often, we just get so caught up and wrapped up in what the world is selling to us. And we come to start worshiping an ideal as opposed to worshiping our creator. And it's easy to do. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers today, folks. I'm not like you know, slamming judgment on it. This just, this happens. It's easy for this to happen. It's easy to get caught up in where, where our world is taking us, one way or the other. But I want, I want to remind you of something today, something I have to remind myself of uh, from time to time. When it comes to what we can start to worship in this world, whether that's a person, whether that's an idea, a system, whatever, there's nothing on this world today, nothing on this world today, no person, no politician, no celebrity, no government, nothing that died to redeem your soul. There's Jesus. Jesus died to redeem your soul. Uh, I, I get, you know, especially when it comes to um, election years. It's like every even year, I feel my anxiety climb. Again, just watching people just be nasty to each other. Over what? A very flawed person that's just like you and me. And every election year, I usually post this on social media several times. I remind myself of this several times. I write it down several times. But my mantra, my personal motto, I guess if you want to call it, for lack of a better term, every year it comes back out. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I believe that. And because of that, because of that, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but it makes it easier for me to try and separate from some of this so that I can worship him in spirit and truth. Let's be honest. If I asked you what's the truth about what's going on in our world right now, I'm going to get a different answer from everybody. I honestly believe one of the biggest anxieties about COVID is none of us have a clue what's going on. But most of us are going to say we do. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to 
poke fingers or point fingers or, or, or poke at it. We just, we don't know who to believe. But here's the good news, folks. We know who we can believe. We know who we can believe. We know the worship in spirit and truth. We know that we're worshiping truth. Because here's the good news, folks. This never changes. These promises never go away. This hope never dies. The only way that this becomes useless to you is if you quit using it. You put it away and you put it on your shelf. That's the only way that the hope is going to die for you. But if you're seeking him, if, if you're, you're, you're into your word, if you're reading, folks, that's how you keep that hope and that truth active in your life. And I think, too, that's how we avoid falling into the trap that so many have of worshiping things of this world. Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 1. Very famous passage. We, we use this passage a lot here. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts uh, were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a human being and birds and animals and reptiles. I'm really thankful that that was describing the Romans and nobody else, right? Therefore God gave them over in their uh, sinful desires uh, of their hearts to sexual impurity and to the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator. And I read that, and I'm like, man, I could know nothing about the first century Romans. I could know nothing about the, the, the state of that empire. And I could read that and think that Paul's writing directly to us today. We worship and serve the created things. And that's so easy to fall into. It's so easy to fall into that trap. We have to remember who our God is. We have to remember that he is our reason. That it's through him that we have life. It's through him that we have salvation. It's through him we have peace. It's through him that we have everything. And when we worship, it allows us to stay focused on him. John Ortberg's an author and a pastor. He said it this way, I need worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and I plod through life with blinders on. And what's he mean by that? Uh, I like to to kind of picture it this way a little bit here. Uh, How many of you just like to kind of get out into nature to connect with God? And I know for me it's easy to do that. And this is a great place to do that because you can just drive like five miles that way and you're in the mountains. Or or you can, if you want a bigger taste of it, go on over to the coast or go down to the redwoods or go to Crater Lake or something like that. And for me, those places, it's... It almost becomes spiritual because I can connect with God there so easily. Why? Because I look around and go, man, God spoke all of this into existence. He spoke this into being. One of my favorite places I've ever been is is Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. And what amazes me about that place is you just kind of get caught up in how big it is. And you're, you're driving along a, a mountaintop, 
you know, and you're at like 10,000, 12,000 feet elevation, and you're looking across this massive expanse at this other mountainside that's just dotted with these happy little trees, if you want to get your Bob Ross going. <laughs> and just dotted with these little trees all over. And then you drive, and as you get closer and closer and closer, those trees turn into like 150-foot giants. And you just get this overwhelming sense of, wow, I am so little, I am so small in comparison to God's creation. But then you take a step back and you realize that in the midst of creation, all of creation, he chose you and me to bear his image. And he chose us to be the objects of his worship. And for me, that just washes over me. And it's overwhelming. And it's in that moment that I can do nothing except worship. And sometimes I'm worshiping just standing with my mouth open, you know, staring. I don't have words to worship with. But I'm just in this mindset of wonder and awe. So I think about this a little bit here. We come to this conclusion kind of today. We're all worshiping something. The question is what or who? What or who do we worship? And as, as we kind of get to this, folks, we have to understand as a church, we talked about this last week, we are the body of Jesus. We are called to be the plan of God for our world. And the only way we're going to rise above the brokenness so that we can continue to connect with God is occasionally disconnect from the world and worship Him. I thought about this a little bit. I mean, that's really all that got me through the last four months. And I don't know about you, but, but I catch myself kind of in the, this, this mindset a little bit. And this idea that when I'm having a day that I just wish would stop, you know, those days I just wish we could get it over with, I stop and I worship. When I'm caught up in the middle of, of issues in a relationship, I stop and I worship. When I'm dealing with stress from this job or, or stress with my, my kids, I, I stop and I worship. When I'm dealing with stress of not feeling well, when I'm just caught up and frustrated with the world, man, I just, I stop and I worship. I don't know how it works for you. Uh, for, for me, yeah, often I have to get some music going. Why? Because music helps me block things out. Music takes me places. Maybe it does for you too. Uh, I, I said this in, in first service, I, music for me is weird because it connects me to times and places. Certain song comes on and I can remember back to, there's, there's one song in particular, every time I hear it, I go back, I'm in my car, driving around Norman, Oklahoma on a cold, rainy night when I was at one of my lowest points in college, and that song just hit me at just the right time. And I remember I was going to meet some friends at a, at a pizza place. That song takes me there every single time. So maybe you're the same way. And it's funny, you know, you get on, on like Spotify or some of these, they'll, they'll actually, the more you listen to it, it'll, it'll create and craft certain playlists for you based on what you like. My problem is my kids have access to mine too. <laughs> so you get on mine and you're going to get this nice blend of like 90s alternative and grunge and Taylor Swift for some reason and Disney and all the stuff that they put in on top of the stuff I put in, the Greatest Showman soundtrack, you know. But it, it connects you. 
So, so for me, some of the, the most intimate times I've had with God in the last few months have been in the like three-minute drive from here to my house. Very short, but it's, it's getting me connected. And actually, I like to get on YouTube because you can find all these worship songs on YouTube. And unlike, I'm, I'm cheap, so I have the, the free Spotify. You can't pick a specific song on there. It gives you, well, because you like this, here's this. So I get on YouTube. I've got headphones on, so it blocks everything else out. I just connect. And it's so funny how God works in my life because my YouTube channel, when I pull it up and, and see my homepage, it's all this random stuff that I can, you know, sports stuff or Star Wars stuff or whatever. And there just so happens to be this song at the top. Just so happens to be. I don't know how you connect. I don't know how you disconnect. But my challenge, my encouragement to you is, is over this next week and these coming weeks, find opportunities to disconnect physically so you can connect spiritually to God. Find opportunities that you can plug into Him and you block out the distractions and the noise of the world. For me, honestly, I do this best by myself. Some people do it better with other people. We're, we're all wired a little bit differently. But find opportunities this week. Worship him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that, that, he, uh, God, that he went to the cross for us. Knowing what we were going to do to him, that he went to the cross for us. And because of that, because he paid that price, because he defeated death, Lord, we have a hope through him that we can't get from anything that we can create ourselves. And so God, I, I, I pray that we would always have it on our minds that that's the reason we try to worship in spirit and truth. That's why we seek to be authentic. That's why we seek you. Because you have pursued us you have come after us. You have chased after us. Because you are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our praise. You're perfect. You're truth. You're light. All we are is broken reflections of that. God, I pray as, as we as the church continue to step forward in this uncertain world, Lord, that we would always chase after you first. Prioritize you. Make you the focal point of our being. God, I pray today that over the coming days and weeks, everyone here, we would find time to step away, to disconnect so that we can connect with you. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.